Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you thank God for grace? Man. You know what? Families like that make me jealous. Amen. We got a few in our family that can, but it didn't hit me. But you know what? I just sing anyhow. And the uh, Bible does say make a joyful noise, right? Got something to sing about. And I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad of God's grace. Would you open your precious Bible tonight to the book of 1 Thessalonians? And uh, I want to just give a thought here for this last um, Wednesday of the year. I really don't look at the last Wednesday of the year. I'm gearing up for the year. And I don't want you to forget about this message because I believe this is imperative for us as a Christian and us as a church. And... um, I want to read the whole chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and of course we know this to be a church epistle uh, written to the people at Thessalonica, and uh, always the last words of a letter, normally you're always saving the best for last when you think about a, a letter, or if you're giving a speech, or if you're talking to someone, or let's just say it's going to be the last time you talk to somebody and you know you're getting ready to tell them bye, you're going to try to leave the last so they can understand or so they'll remember, and the same in a... Same in the epistles. And so it's full of just a lot of one-line instruction or, I mean, let's just look at it. But I want to read the whole whole chapter because you've got to get the context. Verse 1, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. Aren't you glad for that? That that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, that word sober means to be vigilant. To be serious. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that shall be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, be serious. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore... Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, 
And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts now and use your word in Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful passage of scripture. When we think about this epistle now, you think about it. He said, I want this letter to be written to everybody. So it was. It was circulating. Praise God, I'm glad we got it tonight. Why? Because it is the preserved, it's the infallible, inerrant word of God. And I'm glad that we have it. And I'm thankful when I read this chapter, and again, the First Thessalonians, the book of First Thessalonians is just chock full of instruction, principles, promises, and, uh, and priorities. But I want to look tonight, as we look at these last sayings, think about all of the small, very quick, instructive, powerful principles that he encourages to do. I mean, it starts all the way in the beginning of the chapter, but ends at the end. Rejoice evermore. That's simple, short, but powerful. Are you rejoicing tonight? Are we rejoicing evermore? Uh, then notice this, pray without ceasing. Are we praying without ceasing? You know, I was a little boy, so well, we can't pray all the time. We'll wreck if you're driving. You know, I learned something. You don't have to have your eyes closed. I do most of my praying not with my eyes closed. And so think about it. And then it says, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. That's a tough one, isn't it? Not all things feel like it should be in God's will. But God says that you are to realize that in, and give thanks for everything. For it is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Here's a quick one. Quench not the Spirit. Have we quenched Him today? Despise not prophesyings. Now we know that word. So, well, I don't prophesy. Well, that's preaching. How many of y'all like preaching? We're going to find out here in a while. Man, my, my cheerleader's not here tonight. Brother Robert, he went, amen! Brother Robert, you're online tonight. Why don't you shoot it out there on a text? Amen. Hey, despise not prophesy. Hey, prove all things. You prove all things? Or do you just go with the flow? By the way, Christians need discernment. They need wisdom. Then here it is already. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Then he asked us to pray. He asked these people, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. But uh, I want to focus tonight on verse, verse 14 and verse 15. I want you to notice what the Bible says. Now we exhort you. Now when someone says we exhort you, in other words, saying, look, we're, we're exhorting you. We're pleading with you. We're very passionately saying, look, we're exhorting you. We're telling you, you need to be doing this. That would be like you as a husband or a, or a, a dad and a mother going and talking to your children and, and passionately pleading with them because you know what you're getting ready to tell them is best or is good for them to do. Notice what he says. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that which are rule unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Actually, I'm just going to stop right there. Because when we think about it, I want you to look. All the instruction is given in one verse. And there's an outline right there. Now, here's where I'm going. I don't think anyone tonight would disagree that our culture is rapidly changing. 
I don't think anyone sitting in this building tonight or even online would disagree that our culture in America has rapidly changed. Well, could I get a witness? Can I say we no longer live in a nation with the majority of people holding Christian worldview? We're not. We also understand that we are certainly know that it's been determined that America is now in a post-Christian era. Now, here's why I share this with y'all on Christmas. I listen to a Christmas Eve, and you can get it up on YouTube. I listen to all that old stuff. But I, I wanted to find uh, some old radio stuff about Christmas back in, during the World War II. So in 1941, Pearl Harbor had just been bombed on December the 7th. On Christmas Eve, Winston Churchill from England had traveled all the way across to the United States just a couple of days, a few days before Christmas, and he and the president got up in front of about 20,000 people and they gave a Christmas Eve address to America. Millions were watching on the radio, listening on the radio. That was on a Wednesday night. It happened to hit on 1941. It was a Wednesday night. So Thursday was Christmas morning. And we're also told, or I found out and read, that that next morning the president and Winston Churchill went to church on Christmas Day. And I was about to have a fit because I'm like, man, that ain't well, that wasn't on Sunday. How many of y'all remember, no matter what day it was, somebody went to church on Christmas Day? Y'all remember those days? Been a long time since then. Our culture has changed. Hey, I want you to know, we understand that our values and our principles that once guided our nation, those once that was embraced by the majority, have shifted significantly. There has been a fundamental change. We understand it's been one generation at a time. We've shifted from a Christian culture to a humanistic culture. The social, political, spiritual landscape of America has radically changed. So I'm not just up here to talk to you about that tonight. So here's, to say all that, why did I bring this up? So here begs the question, what can and what should we do? Does God have an answer for it? Does God have some instructions for us? Does He have instructions for the church? Well, I'm thankful for these epistles which were written to Christians in that day and God gave them the same instruction that will help them make an impact on the culture just as the same principles that will help us make an impact on culture. Listen to me, church. You and I both know this. The only hope for America is for the church to realize the great needs of our day and faithfully serve the Lord in an effort to positively change our culture. We can do it. We should do it. By the way, you say, Pastor, how are we going to do it? We're going to look to the Bible. The Bible gives us a very short very, very instructive verse and the outline's right there. You say, Pastor, how can we impact our culture? Verse 14 gives it to us. So here's the message tonight. You want to impact your culture? Do we want to impact our culture? Do you know what? I know we all, I've talked about it a little bit, not a lot. I certainly could not talk about him as much as the influence he's had on my life and my change in our family's life. I'm going to tell you right now, there has been men that has impacted my family. 
there has been men that has helped change my family. And one of those men was our pastor for five years, a little over five years, Pastor Clarence Sexton. He's now in heaven. I thank God for his influence in our life. We wouldn't be where we're at today. And I want you to know something. A man like that, and Brother Don showed me a picture of him. He was uh, down at the... Uh, altar, and Dr. Robertson was over him, and Dr. J.R. Faulkner was over him, and they were praying over him, and now all three of them is in heaven. But could you imagine those three man's, men's lives, how much they impacted the culture? Now here's my question. Are we? Are we impacting the culture? Here's what I also thought. The night that Dr. Sexton, we heard that he passed, I told Laura, I said, you know what? It amazes me. I'm sitting here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, thanking God for his personal imprint on my life, the personal time that I had with him. And to be fair, I sat there and thought, man, I had a lot of personal influence with him. We shared a table together. We, we had him in, in our churches. We, we spent some time with him. And, and man, what an impact that he had on my life and in a personal way. And I was sitting there thinking, but you know what? Thousands of other people can say the same. You know what? Conviction came over my heart. Can that be said about me? Can that be? Are we really impacting our culture? I think about what churches are doing today. Are churches really impacting the culture? I want to say we impact culture by one person at a time. It amazes me. We live in a day where we hear a lot about church, but I don't see a lot of churches doing a whole lot. How are they impacting culture? Most of your, you know, a lot of churches today are now infiltrating the culture. You can't tell the difference between them and lost people. They're certainly not impacting the culture. Culture has impacted them. But God says for us, we are to make a difference in this world. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like being around people saying, I'll tell you right now, America don't have no hope. Oh, be quiet. Yes, it does. Well, I don't think the Lord will ever send revival. Well, then be quiet. He can. He can. He desires to. But I want you to know, what are some simple things? And this is nothing new tonight. But what would be effective in seeing real needed change? I want us to consider the instruction that God gave us in one verse. As he closes out, as he's giving instruction to this church, he says, here's what I want you to do. Number one, are y'all ready? He said, I want, here's the obligation of the church. He said, I want you, church, you are obligated. As he closes out this chapter, he says, you are obligated to warn the defiant. Notice the very first thing he said, warn them that are unruly. Now, I want to tell y'all something. Paul reveals a biblical principle here that's often overlooked and it's neglected in our day, because I'm going to tell you all right now, it ain't fun. It ain't fun for the person that's got to do the warning, and it ain't fun for the person that needs to be warned. And by the way, usually the one getting warned gets mad at the one doing the warning. Somebody give me a witness. That's normally what happens. Well, I tell you right now, that preacher needs to keep his mouth shut. He's sticking his nose all in my business. No, it might just be God has given some insight and he's trying to warn you because he loves you. But now look, that context not just for the preacher. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, now we exhort you, brother, warn them that are unruly. We're to warn the defiant. Why? Because we love them. And more important than that, God loves them. <laughs> now, 
We're obligated to warn the unruly. We're obligated to sound the alarm and seek to lovingly correct those who have strayed or getting ready to stray. The word unruly is actually, here it is, it's a military term. It speaks of one who is disorderly or out of ranks or a subordinate. It it really presents the idea of an officer correcting someone that is not doing his job correctly or he's marching out of rank or he's not doing something that's going to help the cause and the good of the fight or the good of the battle. And so the general or the sergeant or whoever is saying, hey, we need to warn you, you're stepping out of rank. Now, let me speak to you from my heart. It takes wisdom, church. It takes wisdom. Now, God tells us where to do it, and I'm not going to tell you that I've always done it the right way, but I'm going to tell you something. It takes wisdom if we're going to warn people properly. Now, I was talking to Miss Kyle today, and I can't believe this. I've been in the, we've been in the ministry 27 years. Man, I'm old. I couldn't believe it, 27 years. And you know what? I've seen some things. I, I've, I've been uh, pastoring here, be 15 years this upcoming month in February. Here, I, I, can y'all believe we've been here 15 years? Some of you say, Lord, it feels like 30. 15 years. I preached my first message in 1996. I've seen a lot of things. I've watched a lot of things. And I told Miss Kyle, I said, I I tell you, I just can't help it. It's in here. And I have to literally, wherever I'm at, I told my wife this the other day, I was sitting down and talking to her. I said, Laura, I have to literally, when we go somewhere, I have to say, Mark, you have to shut up. Because it's in me. Like if someone's talking, I'm sitting there and I want to teach them something. Or if I'm sitting there and I'm watching two people or, or something's going on and, and, and I, told, I, I even said, I said, you know, I see things sometimes even in the church and I, I see little details of things and it bothers me or, or it worries me because I, I've seen normally where that kind of stuff leads. Not always, but a lot of times. And so it's in my nature. I, 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 I got to... And I know my family understands because even over there, and I've had to learn through the years, you don't need to go over there and teach. You need to go over and enjoy your family. And, and I've failed at that, but I'm just saying there's something in me that it's like I have to literally say, Mark, stop. Because it's just in me. I want to warn. I want to I stop. I want to I teach. I want to I, I say, look, I've seen that. I know where that goes or where the possibility. Where the, but you know what I've learned? I've learned there's not a whole lot of people willing to learn. Even here, I, I, I'm going to just let you know, church, this whole month of January, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to deal with some pastoral stuff. I pick up on things, I see things, I've been in it long enough and I do also believe that God gives that to a shepherd. He's leading it and there's things that that are there. And so you say, Pastor, what are you going to do? I got to warn. But I got to pray that God gives me wisdom to do it the right way. And then I got to pray for the person that's being warned not to let their pride get in the way and not to get all upset and mad and understand we, the Bible says we are to warn. 
You say, how will that impact culture? Well, it impact culture a lot. How many of y'all know you should listen to your, boy, I tell you what, the older I get, the more smart, the more wise my mom and dad was when we were young. Boy, I tell you, the older I get, the more I realize how smart they are. Well, I wish I'd listened to some of their warnings when I was being unruly. Hey, it's an obligation to the church. It's like a military. But listen to me. Wisdom's the key. This is done, little done in our modern society today. Why? Because we know people are prone to get upset or mad. There's been a time in... And you know something else I've learned? I've learned the wise parents let other people raise their children. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, we don't have the perfect children in the world, but I would tell you right now, I'm thankful for some people that wasn't their mom and dad that had input in their life and warned them and they had an influence in their life. And, and, and I'm thankful that Laura and I had enough sense to let good godly people have an influence and we tried to encourage them to listen to other people's warnings. But I'm going to tell you what it takes. It takes courage to warn people today. But we have to have courage to engage the defiant within our culture. Love for others is not shown through silence. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've struggled with that. <laughs> but we have to warn. But here's the key, and I'm not saying I've always done it right. God help us to do it with wisdom and with love and with discernment and at the right time and the right way. God can help us. Oh, everybody here, how many of you parents, you love your children? Sure you do. And I'm sure there's been many of us, we go straight to the throne of God and we pray. And by the way, we should pray. But there does come times that God gives us these super divine appointments that maybe God gives us a leading to be able to talk to people and to help people, maybe to, in the right spirit, in the right way, lovingly warn But we have to, I think, listen, I think courage, wisdom, and love is the key. We have to warn. Then I want you to notice this. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And by the way, let me just say this. That, that's not always means that you're going to go up to somebody and, and tell them they're going to split hell wide open. You know, sometimes, oh, I tell you right now, I told him the truth. Well, he didn't, have any, he didn't really have a problem with the truth. He probably had trouble with the way you said it. Well, I told him. Well, that's the problem. You probably shouldn't. You probably should let the Holy Spirit do it. By the way, I've told you, church, look, we need to be very careful when visitors walk in this door. We need to be careful. We need to be careful the way we engage them and talk to them and and, uh, and I appreciate our church. I love the spirit of our church. But we need to be careful. We need, the Bible does say we need to warn the unruly. Then notice this. Here, now he shifts from warn the unruly. Now notice this. Comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort the discouraged. Now we're shifting. Now 
We're in that mode of we're all right now, we're warning, we see things, the, the, the bridge is out, we're, 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 we're warning, we're, we're giving people the word of God, we're living by experience, we're trying to help people say, hey, stop, lovingly, stop, we love you. But now it's like that's one mode, and then he says, now you're going to shift gears and you're going to comfort the feeble mind. Now this speaks of those who are faint-hearted with their faith. Here, here it is, y'all ready? This is terms we understand. They're about ready to give up. They're about done. Y'all ever been there? I mean, they're just down. And by the way, it takes discernment to pick up on this. The Bible says we're to comfort them. Boy, I'll tell you right now, there's been times I've been discouraged, I've been down, and I'm telling you what, I'm going to tell y'all right now, a timely text does a lot. He said, well, Pastor Mark, I didn't know you was down. I know, but the Holy Spirit did. Comfort, comfort the feeble-minded. How we need to be mindful of that in our day. We all know those who were once committed to the Lord. They were active in church, but for some reason, they grew discouraged, and the next thing you know, they're out. And I've wondered, how many times have they been right there in front of us, and we've known it, we've seen it, and we've not done our personal best to try to comfort that person? Listen, everybody needs encouragement. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I'm telling you right now, nobody needs help getting discouraged, but everybody needs help staying encouraged. Someone might say, well, why is it so important to go to church? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one reason is, is you encourage other people. For some reason, they've grown discouraged. They became faint-hearted. Here's what happened. They just fade away. They just fade away. They just, got, they just faded away. We've seen it far too many times, but we're obligated to reach out to those we can cover. So here's what I want y'all to do tonight. I want y'all to look around. Now, tonight's not quite fair because we've got a lot of people traveling. There's a lot of people sick. But y'all look around and think about some folks that hadn't been here in the last few weeks. And I'm going to tell y'all right now, a card, slap it in the mail. Hey, a text, a call, go a long ways. Now listen, when you do it, where have you been? That's not quite what we're looking for. Where have you been? We've been missing you down there at the church. Where have you been? You been playing hooky? Not quite what we're looking for, amen? Say, boy, we sure have missed you. And, not, and I'm reaching out to you because pastor told us we needed to. Not quite what we're looking for. And look, I know none of y'all here would do that. We've all had times when we needed a little encouragement. And I'll say this, it had not been for concerned people in my life at times, I don't know where I'd be. So we need to remember and think of that. Now, say impact the culture. Yeah, impact the culture. Can I ask you all a question? This is this. Has anyone ever looked at you and said, I'm going to tell you right now, I would not be where I am in, in my life, in my relationship with the Lord without you. That's impacting the culture. And I can tell you this. I can say that about certain and several people in my life. Then I want you to notice this. Verse 14. It's right here. The outline's right here. How can we impact the culture? We've got to warn. 
We've got a comfort. Then here it is, support the dependent. Look at verse 14. It says, warn that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Now, I know where we all run with that. We think, automatically, that's monetary. Well, I'm not going to say it's not, but that's not really the context of this passage. It's not talking about supporting someone that's weak financially or physically. It's talking about someone weak spiritually. You know, there's those who that are weak speaks of those who yield easily to temptation. They easily led astray. Those who are burdened, those who are discouraged, those who are defeated. And this is more of a spiritual application. Now, Paul ministered when there was no doubt temptation of all sorts. I'm going to tell you, I know sin's always been sin, but look at me. Now, y'all know what I'm getting ready to say is true. I get it. I know sin has always been. Sin has always been. The heart of man has always been wicked. But I'm going to tell you all something right now. I guarantee you the people back in the day of the Apostle Paul don't have near the availability of sin temptation as we do today. And you know why I know that? Because I'm going to tell you all right now. When I was a boy in the 80s, it was hard for me to find certain things. I can promise you today, it ain't hard for him to get into it today. It's right there. It's pushed in front of them all the time. It's so easily accessible. And so it's the same here today. We know that there are people that are easily tempted with all of the things that are going on today. Listen, with all of the illicit drugs with all of the illicit things, and I'll be careful, we have children, but with everything we know that's in our culture, the temptation is so very real. And for us to stick our head in and sound like, ah, I'll just be strong in the Lord. Well, look at me. There's people not being strong in the Lord. There's people that's fighting with every ounce of their being, but they're, they're weak in temptation. Look, I know I mentioned this, Brother Jimmy Horton called me today. He said, Pastor, I've been sick, can't be there tonight. He was looking forward to being here tonight. Now, look, I don't need to keep bringing that up because look, we're praying for Brother Jimmy. Brother Jimmy's going to be going out to Arizona. He's going to be working with folks. That he's going to be ministering to them. But you know what? I told him and every one of those guys when they show up here, man, y'all have encouraged me because them boys are fighting for their life. Y'all talking about temptation, it's every second they're battling and fighting. Because I'm going to tell you something, sin has a hold on people. Physically, spiritually, mentally, all of it. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible says we are to support the ones that are weak in temptation. By the way, when's the last time you went up to someone and said, Hey brother, I know you're struggling, here's my phone number, give me a call, talk to me instead of falling into sin. Someone the other day said, they gave someone their phone number and said, you can call me anytime. And the guy said, I mean it. And I thought, he means it. There's times I've even said to people, I said, hey, we'll do what we can. And I said, look, those aren't just words either. You know why people don't take us up on that? Because they think it's just words. Oh, I know, our family, we, and by the way, sometimes I had, my children had to help me. I'll never forget one year. We were heading off to go Christmas shopping. Me, Clay, and Kaylee, we did it every year. We was heading down the road. We was, I mean, we was already on the interstate. By the time I get a phone call. 
It's people I didn't know, and they, they said, well, you know, and next thing you know, I looked at the kids. We did it every year. I said, guys, I said, this family's calling. I said, the family members died. They don't have anybody to preach a funeral. And I said, man, I'm torn. I said, I don't know this family, but I said, I want to go out with y'all. We've done it, and I'll never forget it. My two children looked at me and said, Dad, we'd be disappointed if you didn't do it. And so, boy, I got to go over to Lane Funeral Home. I got to preach the gospel to a family that I didn't even know. And that particular day, a young man got saved. All that's to say this. Look, we, we, a lot of times when we say, well, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself here. I'm not preaching to y'all. I'm preaching to myself. Because even in the ministry, you can get so busy, you can get too busy for people. Support the dependent. And we realize we live in a society full of temptation, abounds on every hand. And by the way, let me just say this quickly too. There's a lot of false doctrine out there too. Boy, it sounds good, looks good, feels good, but it's, it's error. It's full of error. Or maybe it's not even full of error. Maybe it just got a little bit of error. But I want to say the little bit of error is what kills the rat. Now, We need to understand that it goes much farther than just having an encouraging word with someone. Here's what this means. This idea of support literally means, here it is, to cling and to hold to and to hold up and support. I mean being there. Here it is, Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such and one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I appreciate Brother Cobby's prayer. And I was praying, but one little phrase there pulled out that he said, he said, I'm glad that we have a church that doesn't look down their nose. Well, I know he means we, we know more than that too, but that is true. But I know what we've talked. I'm thankful we have a church that realizes if somebody messes up, we're spiritual enough to try to help them get back up. You say, well, how many times? Well, as many times it takes. As many times it takes. Isn't that how the Lord does us? That's that grace. I tell you what, you'll find the mark of a church. You'll find whether the church is spiritual or not, how well they line up with Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if, you may, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such and once in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There's where real spiritualness is found when we're spiritual enough to know we're in the business of restoring, not tearing down. And then quickly, I'm going to close. Talk about impacting the culture now. How about we engage the different? Look at verse 14. Here's the four things. Warn then, warn comfort, support, and then be patient toward all men. Why'd God put that in there? Y'all ready? I don't know about y'all, but some people drive me crazy. Come on now. How many of y'all? We're in church. Don't lie. How many of you know there's just certain people rub you the wrong way? Would you raise your hand? The rest of you are lying. That's why God put that in there. And there's some people listen to be just harder than others. They're more contrary. Here's what he says. Be patient toward all men. Now these, they might not have been had any trouble with any of these principles up until now. But maybe they had a little bit of swallowing this, a little tough swallowing it because they had to show patience towards all men. That includes those who's never been saved. 
That also means we ought to be patient with those folks that have no desire for the Lord. And those are the ones that I struggle with the most. Is folks that don't have any desire for the Lord. You know why? Because they just don't have the same motives we have. They don't have the same desires we have. And those who are difficult and different, in essence, the church is obligated to the world. We're instructed to be patient toward all men. And this has the idea of being long-suffering, steadfast, hey, having patience. And sometimes we have difficulty with patience towards those of like faith. And look, I'm preaching to myself. Towards all men. I'm going to close with this. Consider where you might be. I've considered where I might be if there wouldn't have been some saints of God that had patience with me. And helped me in all four of these areas. I, I tell you, I, I couldn't believe it. I, we're going to be celebrating our 15 years here. And every time I associate that with Africa, and the reason I do is because I was trying not to come here. <laughs> I, was, I loved West Virginia. I was comfortable there. I think we were all comfortable. And, and so I try to sound spiritual, Brother Jim. I was like, well, um, church is paying for me to go to Africa, and I've never been on a mission trip before, and I think I just, I just don't need to come down there. And uh, I'll never forget, Jimmy Horton, he kept calling. He wouldn't leave me alone. Finally, he called. He said, well, would you not even go? And I told him, I'm being honest, first time. He said, will you pray about it? I said, I ain't even going to pray about it. Ain't that awful? I said, I ain't even going to pray about it. Well, finally, after a couple of weeks, he, he called me. He said, you're not even going to pray about it? Well, I got under conviction. I said, well, I'll pray about it. Well, here's the thing. I went off to Africa. I went on this mission. I'd never been out of the state of, hardly the state of, hardly been out of the city of Hinton. Here I am flying 28 hours in one stretch all by myself. I was scared to death. Never flown in my life. Go all the way to Amsterdam, then down to Elder, down to Nairobi, and I mean in these countries. I'm scared to death. Uh, they done told me all these things I can and can't do, and I'm down there, and man, God worked in a miraculous way. I thought, man, I flew halfway across the world. And you know what God did? He took my fear of coming here. So it made me, so man, when I was like, man, what's Chattanooga compared to Africa? So man, the Lord called us down here, and man, we fell in love. Y'all fell in love, I hope, and man, this is where the Lord led. And here's why I say all of that. I look back over my life, and I'm going to be honest with you, I can't even fathom everything he's allowed me to see. It blows my mind how many people, Mike and I were talking the other day, he started talking about funerals, and I thought, how many funerals have I preached? How many people have I been able to be a part of watching them get saved? How many VBSs have we had? How many children have we seen saved? How many people have I been able, me, an old country boy from West Virginia, listen, how many people I've got to baptize? And one of those nights we drove all the way out there in one of those rural areas, no lights, and they had a sheet up in the tree 
And they said, you're preaching tonight, and this is in Africa. 200 people raised their hand to be saved. We were swamped trying to work with them. And I thought, my soul. Then God brings me here. Man, we got men in this church. Brother Larry's still on the mission field. Brother Palmer was on the mission field for 30 years. Brother Market pastored. Brother Curran was missionary. And I'm sitting here thinking, and these men are here. And can you imagine the people that they're still affecting? And then I think about our buses. Can you imagine how many homes, how many moms, how many dads, how many children that our bus ministry has affected? I'm amazed. And can I say... It all goes back to a man that none of y'all probably even know. You've heard me speak of him, Harry Pilkington from Canada. He wasn't one of them big name preachers who was on the soil of the Lord, but I'm going to tell you right now, he had an impact on the culture. You know why? Because he's had an impact in people. And people have impact on people, and people affect culture, and people affect eternity, and that's where I want to be. So let's just keep on keeping on. Amen, church? Let's stand to our feet tonight. How many of y'all like to see culture impacted? God help us. Now listen, that's a personal thing. God help each one of us. And so I'm going to ask, she's going, we're not even going to play tonight. That's fine. Let's just let it be quiet. And let's just, let's just pray and close tonight on this very last Wednesday. But we're looking for the new year. Who can we impact for God this year by these four things maybe it's someone you need to lovingly warn maybe it's someone you need to lovingly encourage maybe somebody you need to support maybe there's somebody that nobody else wants to fool with God puts him on your heart you want to be patient with all people we can impact the culture with these four little principles heavenly father we come to you tonight we thank you for your word yes lord simple the outline's right there. Your instruction's very clear. So, Lord, I pray you'll help us to be people that warn in love. You help us to encourage those that need encouraged. You help us to support those that need support. And then, Lord, I pray you'll help us to be patient with all people. And God, help me there. Pray you'll help me there. Help me in all four of these areas. I pray that you'll help impact this world for you. And I hope you'll help us to reach one by each one. And we'll thank you for what you do. Give everyone safety tonight as they travel home. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. God bless you. Have a great night. Hey, is that all for Brother Chris?